You're listening to episode 238 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Well, I've been talking to the higher ups at Comics Pals uh, Inc. And they say that we need to spice things up. And now uh, we're doing an odd couple thing and uh, Pete and I are living together. All right. What I heard from the higher ups was that they were just tired of paying for Phil's uh, expenses because he wasn't really adding much to the proceedings. So I felt bad enough for him. I I gave him a towel in the corner of my laundry room. He's curling up over there for now. But and I was the most expensive pal, too. (laughs) Yeah. which I mean, I don't know. That return on investment never really came together for us. (laughs) <laughs> See, I like the intros that are burns. That I <laughs> get behind. If it's going to be a bit, we might as well make fun of each other. Exactly. Um, welcome to the show. We are taking a one. We're taking a week off from having guests. Uh, next week, we're going to be speaking with TJ Sterling. But this week, no guests. All five of us somehow. Notice if you're watching on YouTube the fact that Pete and Phil are in the same space. This is the first time that two pals have been in the same space as far as the show's concerned for over a year it's so nice yeah i'll yeah. take it oh a year huh hmm. must be nice well i mean hmm. nobody asked you to move to europe you know or I mean, new zealand before uh, that. false also still not in europe i said before <laughs> that <laughs> you yeah you were in europe but not anymore uh We've got a lot to talk about in spite of the fact of not having a guest. Uh, This week, we're going to be going over the Venom trailer, the Venom Let There Be Carnage trailer, which finally has come out. Uh, Interested to hear Pete's thoughts about that and whether or not the movie can be good. Uh, Let's find out. Meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile, uh, the MCU might have some trouble with Shang-Chi and Eternals releasing in China. Um, and uh, we la- we finally learned some more things about what the trial of Magneto is. And for the main topic today, we're going to be talking about whether or not Marvel comics have become stale. All that and more coming up on the show this week. Before we get into all that, I do want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. Of course, we are the Comics Pals. You search that up, you will find us. If you want to support the show, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review or a rating, wherever it is that you listen to us. We've got one of those this week, and we're going to share who that person was and their message. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Leave us a follow wherever it is that you listen to this podcast. If that happens to be YouTube, make sure that you hit the subscribe button. It's totally free. Uh, Like the video, share it with your friends, drop us a comment. If you want to write to us, you can do so at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And if you want to hang out with us, Beyond the show, you can do so by joining our Discord server, a link to which is in the description. All of that is free to do, and it helps us out a lot more than they cost you. Want to plug the book clubs real quick. We have uh, this month, we're dropping our Jupiter's Legacy, Jupiter's Circle book club, of course, tying into the show. You can watch our review of the first episode of the show on YouTube. Go check that out. Or, of course, you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, And this Friday... Super cool. We're going to be going live on Twitch to to uh, to do a, a a very interesting stream. We're going to be doing a tier list. We're going to be ranking the MCU films. Tier list debate. Tier list debate, yes. Uh, it'll have a more jazzy name, I'm sure, as we get closer to it. But that's what we're going to be doing this Friday at 
What time? Six o'clock? Uh, well, yeah, six or seven yeah, or something. Something like that. <laughs> you know what? It'll keep be it, a good keep time. it tuned to the social media or yeah. the Discord, and we'll have a graphic up with the date and the time. Friday, yeah, though. Absolutely. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, now, remember how I mentioned the five-star review? Well, let's get to it. Pete, take it away. Read that for us, please. We got a five-star review from a five-star listener over on Apple Podcasts. Hey. This one came from Union Jackson, who wrote into the show very kindly last week and uh, followed up with a five-star review and said, What a wonderful quintet of boys. They all seem so nice and knowledgeable, and you can tell that they're all good friends with each other. Phil is very funny, and Sean is an incredible host. The Garth Ennis and Tony Schiavone interviews... Nope, I did it again. I did it again. <laughs> Schiavone! Tony Schiavone, it just... It, it rolls. It rolls off the tongue. Tony <laughs> Schiavone... I can't even do it! Schiavone pepperoni. Schiavone. <laughs> interviews were awesome. Thank you so much, Jackson. <laughs> now we're never getting Tony back. No, definitely not if Pete keeps saying his name. Uh, five stars for five boys. Here's eh? the thing. He'd have to listen to this episode to know I said his name wrong. So if he comes back on the show, I'll just hide again. <laughs> it's for again. the best. Uh, so thank you so much. We really appreciate this. Like You guys don't even know how important uh, a five-star rating is how important it is for you guys to go and subscribe to the youtube and all those different things it, it really means a lot and it helps us so uh really appreciate it man and i appreciate the kind words um you know it's 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 incredible to to receive that type of affirmation and feedback for this thing we do uh so thank you he's right i was even on the growth Ennis episode and that, that interview kicked ass so you know people recognize quality work i'd say yeah Thanks for the review. All right. Uh, we've got some comments on our review of Geiger. 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 Yeah, so this one comes from uh, Dope underscore Comics over on YouTube. Wrote in and said, good job, job on the Geiger review. <laughs> I felt a little let down because I wanted to see the king and his men track down Geiger. <laughs> and all we got to see was the king's new scars. We need a Geiger review every month. Man, fuck. <laughs> you guys keep asking for it. We'll keep giving them to you. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Uh, it was a little weird that we didn't get to see that scene, I guess. Um, but I still really enjoyed the book. I'm loving it. And uh, yeah, we'll be putting out a review every month if that's what you want. No doubt. Uh, we also got a comment on our Jupiter's Legacy review. Yes, this one comes from God Ravage over on YouTube who wrote in and said, People who say these costumes are too silly looking must never have read a comic before because this is exactly what superheroes are supposed to look like. Maybe they should stop watching Marvel movies with their Kevlar and leather and watered down colors and open up a comic book. So did Damn. Kale like this or what? Guys, <laughs> I feel fucking got. Kale wrote yeah, this about this himself. Was- this was an attack on Kale. Well, that's oh. right. He, he knocked I feel things. fucking got. How silly of me trying to support the military industrial complex. <laughs> look. Open a comic book, bro. Open a comic book. <laughs> we all know Kale can't read, all right? You don't have to, like, I can't read. Pick on God the Ravage. <laughs> I, just, I can't read. I the the whole like Kevlar leather thing got me. I'm just like, yeah. I like this trend where Sean and I get compliments from listeners and viewers and people just shit on Kale. 
<laughs> I could use something nice. Oh, I got I got Snake of Talents like my butt plug the other day. He so did. That's right. He did like your butt plug comments. So. Probably could have uh, phrased that better, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, God Ravage. He's, this is literally exactly what the what the co- what the uh, the costumes look like in the books. So that's pretty cool. Um, but uh, I think it, I think. Go ahead. I was gonna say Kale's defense. He he didn't say that the costumes were bad. He said that when they were like in movement, they didn't look as good as when they were static. Yeah, as I recall, even even from when uh, we talked about their first uh, our first look at the costumes, the costumes look incredible. No, just down to, shit. Just yeah. Shit. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, e- even down to like the the weird little line work in the in the the like the body of the costume. Uh, but yeah, I, we tied and we talked about this on the review. Everything in that fight scene looked bad. It just looked bad. Well, maybe you're uh, watching the MCU too much, Kale. We all know how much you love the MCU. Such a big stand. Such a god. I wish. I wish that I could watch things like Thor to the Dark World and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two and uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron over and over again Dude. i wish i wish you could clockwork orange my eyeballs open so that, I could always, <laughs> so that i could always take those films in because i love them so much <laughs> i just wish we were still capable of feeling things but you know hey listen I'm, my wife says the same thing <laughs> wow uh so that actually is going to take us into a question from the discord uh, so Viltrum Warrior over there. Sean, wait, would you say that the yeah. question is, is it, is it, was it structured in nature? Is it random? Is it, you know, probably come structured knowing this guy. Yeah. Was this planned? Well, it wasn't planned by, well, you guys didn't know about it. So I guess it's, it would be considered random. A random question of the week. <laughs> wow. So I like the gyrating. <laughs> just. You know, you remember in Invincible when it would just the blood splatter would happen on the on the title card. That's what just happened to Phil. Just his whole head just yeah, it's like that on the back wall now where I'm just like, think, Pete. <laughs> think if Sean's asking a question and it's not in the show notes, it must be random. <laughs> so, Milton Warrior said discussions about Jupiter's legacy and Invincible about changes from the source material got me thinking. What are some of the best and worst changes from for you from comics to another medium? Uh he goes on to give his own examples about like Jason Todd and you know Thanos and things like that. Um, and of course the awfulness of the de- the original Deadpool movie or um of the original Wolverine, uh, Wolverine movie with you know Deadpool, I guess. So what, he didn't like that Thanos was given a motivation besides being a fuckboy or listen, that's uh, a good motivation. <laughs> <laughs> that's how Marco gets through the week. It's true. Yeah. Uh so what are you guys? What are your answers to that? Could could you just repeat the 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 actual the core question? Of the question? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he he's ask he's asking what changes from comics to another medium are the best and worst in your opinion? For me, the the one that always comes to mind for worst is, um, <clears throat> and I've expressed this before, right? Like I don't love how. Watchmen is like kind of a shot for shot recreation, but it, it, at least to me, it feels like it kind of casts Rorschach as the hero. 
um, and mm-hmm. as like your POV type character. Um, and I think that that is a mistake. Um, is he not the POV of the comic? I mean, he is. That's true. But like, I feel like I've I mentioned this before, right? Like the end of the book, I feel like is definitely far more. It presents what happens and it asks you to like walk away from it feeling what you're going to feel. Whereas I feel like the movie very much like kind of it feels like it makes him into a martyr, right? Like he's this like um, crusader for truth and and honesty and that everybody else is perpetuating this lie and whatever. And like I, I always felt like it kind of moralized his point of view in a way that I I just don't vibe with. But isn't that literally what happened? I've never understood this argument. That's that's what happens, though. That is what happens, but I don't feel like it tells you to think that what Rorschach does is right. And I feel like that's that's always how I felt watching the film. And granted, it's been a while since I've watched it, but that's always the impression it left on me is very much like, here, we're putting Rorschach up on this pedestal. And I just, I don't feel like the book does that. Okay. Um, <laughs> looks like it looks like we've got another Watchmen book club coming up. We gotta watch the movie and argue about that. I'm in. <laughs> I mean, my answer is and will forever be the Galactus Cloud from Fantastic Four Two. That was that's bad, god awful. I was upset in the theater, actively mad, um, and I'll never forget that they did that. I, I say a bad example would probably be Topher Grace Venom. Like that's a clear detraction. Not a strong one, yeah. Uh, you know, much worse than I would say the the venom we see on the pages of a comic book. Uh, positive, uh, I say a positive one would be Scott Lang's uh, Ant Man, who I feel like is not a significant character in the comics for the years leading up to Ant Man the film. I feel like yeah. everyone always clamored for Hank Pym constantly. Uh, but I would say after Ant-Man, because of the memorable, charismatic performance of Paul Rudd, people were on board with Scott Lang as Ant-Man. Scott Lang's also kind of an asshole in the comics, right? Like, <clears throat> So is Hank Pym. Oh, that's true. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like they definitely, you know, Paul Rudd's super likable. Um, and a negative, another negative one while we're on it, I would say, is Ultron. Um, you know, I, I like James Spader fine, but Age of Ultron, Ultron, ah. It's something about it didn't mesh well with me, and I love comic book Ultron. Uh, he's one of my favorite like antagonists in like Marvel comics. I think I think it's just like they because he's not Ultron, right? Like he's like super like quippy and like he's very like goofy and kind of like well, he's based on Tony's brainwaves instead of Hank's. Sure, and like you know, like if if that's the reasoning you want to go with or whatever, like that's fine. Like that's it's not like that doesn't that makes no sense at all. But it just it feels odd, and it, it doesn't. It, I feel like it makes Ultron not feel as imposing as he should. Love Ultron. Uh, I think <laughs> you love James Spader's Ultron. One hundred percent. All right. I love I love Age of Ultron the movie. Um, <laughs> you guys right. know that. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, I don't. Um. For my positive, I would definitely say, I would I would kind of go the opposite of of Viltrum Warrior because I think Thanos I think Thanos is great in the comics. I'm not saying that I like think that the movies are you know take him a, a, a step above you know or anything, but I I love that change to the character, yeah. making him a person who uh, is doing what he's doing because in his mind it's the right thing to do. Um, that adds a dimension to the character that goes beyond him just being a psychotic god, you know, which is, that's cool too, but I like this version. 
Cinematic Thanos to me, uh, so it's a rare case I'd say where both the uh, comic book character and the cinematic version, which are both different, are both excellent. Where you're able to do something different and it works still, even though it's different. So like often, to the point of the question, it's either one's good or one's bad. Sure, yeah. I guess while you make that point, like I'll I'll also <clears throat> give a shout out to at least the first you know five seasons of The Walking Dead because um, that was something that I liked about it was that it was different, um, but good different, and not better, just its own thing. Oh, by the way, sorry, I I, I misremembered. Vilchum's not saying that Thanos was bad. He's saying that he liked it. Oh, he's so, a good so example. So I agree, yes, yeah, so uh, I agree. I yeah. Got it, okay, yeah. Marco, you got anything? Yeah, for for wor- for best, um, actually bringing it back to Watchmen, I, I like the, the way that they changed the end and like the resolution of all that stuff. Um, I thought that it, because I ended up seeing the movie first before reading the book, I, I actually like was more partial to that as like an explanation. Um, I think it makes sense within the context of the the comic itself, but I think narratively it it connects pieces better for for Manhattan and uh, Azimandias. So I, I like that uh, as a as a device more so than the alien popping up can i guess your least favorite marco <clears throat> oh try it and it's not swamp thing so. oh never mind <laughs> okay <laughs> they're gonna see the 80 swamp thing movie no 80 swamp thing movie is a joy it's a bonafide um, classic yeah <laughs> the the worst is actually the spirit oh. I, I did not like the adaptation i don't uh, i thought visually it was incredible and um i enjoyed it for that but I think the aspects of the spirit as a character would not at all uh, yeah. what what the comic is about, the strip, the books after, uh, the, to any extent. It's a cool Frank Miller movie, but yeah. it's not the spirit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Viltrum Warrior, for uh, pro- proposing this question. Uh, it's a good one, and it's something that you know I think about uh, fairly often. Um, there are some... I feel like you could do a whole you could do a whole series. There could be you could have a whole conversation about the best and worst. Sean, it yeah. could be a tier list. You oh, could do oh. a tier. Yeah, there's definitely a way to make that work. Um, thanks. You won't be receiving any money for giving this idea to us, but uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for the free content. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's jump into the pals polls. This week, uh, from Marco, we've got Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade at number three. Yeah, so Cy Spurrier has been writing this book. I think uh, Tyler a few weeks back called this one out as his poll, and um, this one was, it's just been an interesting book. I've never heard of this character. I I mostly do it because of Cy and his his writing, and I've been enjoying what uh, what I've been reading it. It's a take on a sort of depressed superhero and he's kind of trying to find his place within the community and uh as of right now it's still kind of building up to the big bad and they they, they just revealed who it was and yeah from here it's just kind of a resolution and see how he he fights his way and how he's able to sort of save the day at the end uh it's it's been it's been cool is it a mini uh, I don't know actually. I, I would assume so. It's they're not going to give him, you know, it's like a C tier character. So I'm assuming it's going to be short. Got a movie but, coming uh, out though. 
Black Knight. The Black Knight. He's in Eternals. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's his name from uh, Game of Thrones is playing him? Kit um, Arrington. Mark oh, Levine. Do you do the show? Dude? Do do. Uh, we did this news. Article. <laughs> well, there you go. The, by the way, th- this is like every week on Discord. He's like, "Oh, this is this," and everybody's like, "Yeah." Do you not listen to the show? You do. <laughs> I just react. I don't absorb information. You reacted to this news, Marco. <laughs> uh, uh, I relate to that real hard. <laughs> and then you also chose Wonder Girl number one. Yeah. Um, I'm going to see what Yara Floor is all about. I didn't necessarily enjoy the characterization in the future state stuff, but uh, I, I, I want to see, I, I want to understand who she is and what she means for Wonder Woman as like a, uh, I guess a, a moniker and how she's going to carry through some of the stuff. Um, I, I don't know where uh, Wonder Woman is now in like the greater universe, but I'm trying to at least see where she's going to fit in. Cause she is a new character. She looks cool. She was spunky enough to get like uh, my attention on the, the future state book, but I just need more of a, a character from her. I need to care. And hopefully this book's going to make me care. I'm with yeah, that. Joelle Jones doing the, the writing and the art on this one. Um, should be interesting. I Jordi mean, Belair is on colors, artist. right? Um, yeah, I think I think Belair is on colors. So Kale shows Power Rangers Volume 1. How many Volume 1s are there of Power Rangers? <laughs> so, there's, so if you remember a couple of months ago, they uh, reset again. Post, post, post Battle of the Grid. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but this this version follows um, Jason, Trini, and Zach as they've kind of um, splintered off, and they're um, sort of a, a ninja squad now. And they've got rad costumes. Trini's got a hammer. Um, what it's a cool selling as point! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they uh, they have to break Lord Draken out of. The Power Rangers and Zordon's prison. Zordon oh. has them in prison. Zordon has Lord Draken in oh, prison. Okay. Who, if you remember, is Evil Tommy from another dimension. Ah, okay. That sounds awesome, actually. Yeah. Wait, uh, especially the hammer. Is the, to- the, the, co- the costumes are dope as hell. Is regular Tommy on the current team? You said or no? He's on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which is he now he's the White Ranger with Rocky and Adam and uh, Aisha. Okay, you know what's pretty cool about the Power Rangers comics is that Trini's still there because the real life actor never died, or you know, Mm -hmm. did die, but in the books they don't have to reflect that. So that kind of changes a lot of things, and I think that's pretty cool that they didn't just get rid of the character because there's no reference point for her beyond Mighty Morphin. Like yeah. She's still a part of it. I think that's awesome. Moving on, I chose Red Room number one. So this is a, an Ed Pisker book. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. and 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 like for me, I can't get enough of his of his work, right? So Grand Design was phenomenal. Um, he did a tremendous job with that, and I'm so impressed by it. And I like I want more. And I was hoping that the next project he would have would be something again in in the Marvel Universe. Um, but the fact that it's not the fact that it's like his own thing uh, 
is also pretty cool. So I'm going to be picking this up. I want to see what he has to say. Um, I love the yeah. cover. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty cool uh, looking book. Pretty cool cover. Um, Very like pulpy. Wait, did you not get it? It it already came out. Red Room. Yeah, I have it. You- oh well, I don't know. It's being solicited for this week. Oh really? Is it uh, oversized, Marco? Yeah, it's like sixty eight pages. Uh, well, I meant in format. Oh, in format? I'm not sure. I have it digitally. It, oh. very, it, it may well be, but I'm not. I'm not sure. Oh, you were. Oh, I see what you were doing. You were you were doing a bit about how it came out digital first. Is that what it is? No, I, I don't know if it does or not. I, I, I thought it came out already. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, in the in the uh, description, it says, "As seen on Pisker's YouTube channel, Sensation Cartoonist Kayfabe." So maybe there was some kind of a, a, a release, a pre-release, something like that. Don't know. Well, if so, eat shit. You eat <laughs> shit. <laughs> um. Sean, I'd be really interested to know if this is an, an oversized um, magazine-style book, be, like uh, similar to Grand Design. Because I've tried, I tried to read uh, Grand Design uh, digitally and could not do it because mm. the stuff he does is so like you have you just need to be looking at it on the page. You don't want to pinch and zoom. It doesn't. It just doesn't work. So <laughs> you're rewarded. For, for reading physical. That's interesting. Mark, With this that? one particular author. How do the how do the black label books look digitally? Uh, don't know, right? Yeah. They look fine. No, one, no, yeah, I'm sure they look great. <laughs> uh I, I wanna don't get read back garbage, to garbage, so I don't know. Yeah. I wanna get back to Kale. Uh many deaths of Lila Star number two. Oh yeah, this is uh Ron V's new one from Boom. Um we we got to read number one and we talked about the the book on on the show a couple of weeks ago but the show is uh, this uh the show is so interesting uh the book is so interesting it's a look at death and what happens when death is out of a job and like the cosmos are are uh uh um corporate and what happens when when death doesn't have a job she goes to kill the thing that is bringing her out of a job. And I just, that's so interesting to me. Um, so I'm really excited about number two, the art by, uh, Philippe, Philippe Andrade. Yeah. Is out of this world. I don't think I got to bring it up much when I talked about it last time, but it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good looking book. Can't wait for this one either. Um, and then Pete, Phil, and I all chose Fantastic Four Life Story number one. Yeah, I mean, I love the life story stuff a lot. We talk about it a lot on the show, just the ability to kind of, you know, I, Sean and I are big fans, for instance, of Grant Morrison's Batman, and I really personally gravitate towards like trying to like just kind of take... 60 years of continuity in the case of the Fantastic Four and trying to kind of make it fit into one narrative, even if it's not uh, clean. But these life story type books, they, they attempt that kind of thing. Or Grand Design even, that also similarly do that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to get my hands on this. I love the Fantastic Four. It's a like, kind of a property that I feel like is underappreciated. And now that you know, there's all these uh, rumors of the movie coming out in the next few years. I feel like we're going to get a lot more Fantastic Four stuff, and uh, <laughs> I'm excited. 
Yeah, um, I think I think for me, it's it's definitely being a fan of the um, the life story format in general. We did our, our book club on Spider Man Life Story, which you can go check out uh, if you're interested. I, you know, I, I, as somebody who has grown up reading like big two superhero comics, right? Like you get you get used to the the ebb and flow of things, and I think any story um, that looks at those characters and and wants to look at it in a more like grounded realistic way in terms of like the timeline and actually getting to show you know the characters like age and grow and change and make mistakes and see fallout from them um is something that is just a device that speaks to me it's why i love like else worlds and what if and and those kinds of stories that are um allowed to have stakes that are a little bit that feel a little bit higher anyway because you know there won't be a rubber banding and um, I think with the Fantastic Four, right, like, I, you know, they're arguably are, are few Marvel properties with as much history and as much um, room for, like, taking advantage of that device um, because they are a family and, like, they have kids and, you know, like, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, like, what is that going to be like? Like, are we going to see, you know, Reed and Sue get old and die while Franklin and, and – um, What's his sister's name? Valer- Valeria. Valeria, yeah. Um, like get older and like maybe take over, and I don't know. Like, there's a lot of room for for some interesting ebbs and flows there. So I'm excited to see where it goes. And one other thing I want to say is it's actually when I was younger, I had a concept uh, as a, for a DC book where I would take uh, the characters from their publishing years and try to like write a narrative to now based on like real time. So like Superman 1938, Batman 39, and like. Where would that logically follow until, you know, 2021 or whatever? Life Story does that. You know, they'll take the characters to the decades. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. There's so many, like, iconic Fantastic Four villains, but also just supporting characters that you can imagine how they might make appearances to, like Spider-Man or She-Hulk or who have you. So... Uh, two things that I want to point out. Number one, no one chose Way of X number two. Oh, Thought shit. that was interesting. Throw that on the list. <laughs> Too late. Boom, boom week for me, baby. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to point out is no one asked me if I bought Joker number three. We know we the answer. Got, yeah, did. we know the answer. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's fine. Do we you want to hear the answer? You bought it. We know. Uh, yeah. The answer is no. You have Of course I didn't buy it. Yeah, liar. Of course it's not sitting right next to me. Yes, uh-huh. it is. I see it in no, your face. No, it's you know what? I, I really didn't buy it. I, I really didn't buy it. I'm mm. committed. Mm. Uh all you guys that shamed me for <laughs> having purchased Joker number two and enjoying it, by the way, enjoying it thoroughly. Uh <laughs> yeah. all of you guys who guilted and shamed me, you win. I will no longer buy joker comics they win you said you wouldn't buy two you were the architect (laughs) of your own destruction on this one sean yeah well that that didn't mean that everybody had to come for me all right (laughs) what the fuck sean go ahead and buy joker number three fuck the haters what would the joker do what would the joker do that's great wwjd for the joker it's just normal yeah, actually, it's normal just, number three. You just just steal the book, huh? I live my life like that. Like, what would what would Joker do? That, <laughs> that's going to be my new mantra. Yeah, listeners of the show that shamed Sean, why so serious? <laughs> you know, guys, we live in a society. You can't just tear people down like that. 
I think it's really uh, brave, frankly, of DC to rob from their um, from their consumers, just like the Joker, because they think crime is funny. Art <laughs> imitates life, Kale. This personally hurts Jared Leto. I hope you guys know that. <laughs> good. All right. Oh, good. Wait. Wait. Let's go buy it. Fuck. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about Venom. Let there be carnage. <laughs> carnage is a character who I would say is 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 beloved. I would say that there are a lot of people who really enjoy carnage. And somehow this is his first. This is his first time on the big screen. Uh when I when I kind of realized that I was I was blown away by that fact. Um, so, but we're gonna we're gonna get into the trailer. I'm gonna share my screen so that I can show you guys this really cool trailer over on YouTube. While while we do that, hey Phil, we haven't heard from your brother in a while. <laughs> I oh, don't God. know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> Call Phil's brother right now. <laughs> what do you think about Carnage? I, I forgot about opinion. Phil's brother. Uh, I can't. He lives rent free in my fucking head. <laughs> uh, my brother calls me every day about buying him Godzilla figures. That's not a joke. So have Jake. you done it? No. <laughs> <laughs> hey Phil, you need to buy me Godzilla figures. <laughs> I love how it just hey. says trailer. Yeah. Trailer starts now. Okay, thanks. Nice. I wasn't sure. Like this is Marco's Yo, this is what Marco's house would look like Mike. if he was single. <laughs> This is fucking. This is fan fiction. I've I've read this on Tumblr. I mean, somebody's read this on Tumblr. Uh, how did you guys feel about this piece in particular? Because this this was a part where it felt like they kind of took one of the things that worked about the first movie, which was the the weird, quirky, offbeat relationship between the symbiote and Eddie, and they took it to like level ten. And I'm not sure how into that I am. Yeah, I, this was the first thing where it felt like, oh, they're making this into like a buddy cop film or some shit where they're, they're partners now and hilarity ensues kind of situation. They leaned into it really hard and it was a little off putting at first. So, uh, I'm going to see how it turns out. Like, I hope it's not all jokes and stuff and they make this like a Venom Deadpool sort of situation, but, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's nice that they made a movie that's relatable to Pete and I. You know, Pete's Eddie here, and I'm Venom. That's the same dynamic that's happening in this recording right now. I think this is pretty nice. Does he have a sword? Did you see that? Did does he have a sword? <laughs> Did he have a sword? He had some type of Thing. weapon. Oh, I don't yeah. think that's like a sword. pole. Yeah, oh, he squished a spider. Oh Uh-oh. man. Yeah, the, the, the spider squish. That was kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> Here's our, our our first good look at Cletus Cast. You can see that the bad wig is off. Um, now he's they, good. They, just, they, they got a good wig. <laughs> good old Woody. A better wig. Yeah, Woody rules. Um, Love Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Yeah. This is th- that's what I'm talking about. Like now he looks good, and I'm into the idea oh, of seeing him play Venom. That was a cool shot. That one. That one. Yeah. yeah the head. Yeah. Want to point out uh, that woman is uh, that shriek from the comics? Oh, like, oh okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They they break out of Ravencroft together in the Maximum Carnage storyline. You know, this is similar to that. Sure, sure. 
some carnage action there. Come on, let me see. Let me see that big red. Know, yeah, right? come on, motherfucker. Look at yeah. yeah, all right. Yeah. So cool. The so tendrils. One, that is one big red boy. Yeah. <laughs> I was worried about how they would do Carnage uh, visually. I think they did a good job. He looks cool. Um, I can't wait to see him, though, like in a more chill moment, like when he's just kind of hanging around. What does he look like? Um, Carnage's body is like always in motion, I feel like. Yeah. So. Yeah, like I feel like he never like not never, but I feel like Carnage way less often looks like a dude in a suit and it more just looks mm-hmm. like a head with like a mass around it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, Venom often looks like a costume. Yeah. And Carnage is just yeah. the tendrils and slime feels like it's coming coming off the bones all the time. Like the whole yeah. the fact that like Peter doesn't realize that the symbiote is alive at first, right? Like speaks to the fact that it mostly looks fucking normal until it does some shit like this, right? Whereas like Carnage always feels like it's at eleven. Yeah. Um, I can't I can't wait for the Venom Eddie sex scene. That's gonna be great. <laughs> to uh <laughs> to answer to answer your initial question, Sean. Um, I'm not necessarily surprised that the trailer like highlights that vibe in the beginning because I think, you know, we, we talked about this with the original Venom, right? Like, I think the marketing around that movie was not, not say that it was bad, but it wasn't really representative of what the movie was. Like, it, it kind of felt more like it was gonna be like dark and edgy and, and then it was very much like, goofy and silly a lot of the time with a little bit of edge yeah with a little bit of edge and you know i think that was something that worked for me so like to see them double down on that here like doesn't necessarily feel surprising and i think it speaks to you know kind of um the corner they've backed themselves into with wanting to make a series of films that star venom as the hero right like you need to um I mean, I guess you don't need to, but there's an uh, incentive for them to make Venom and Eddie likable, you know, and make their dynamic, like, fun and, you know, um, like, you want to get behind them, not like, oh, they're another bad guy and they're fighting a worse bad guy. Like, that doesn't really work. Um, And I mean, I I guess it could, but that's not the direction that they went, and... It doesn't seem like it was ever the direction they were interested in going. So to see that now that time has passed, that they're like buddy, buddy, and you know that that like Eddie's getting used to it and getting into a rhythm with it and things like that. I feel like that's kind of what this movie was was always going to be, um, especially when you see where they as a pair are left off at the end of the first movie. You know, you know, I was thinking about this before when I was like a baby. I feel like Venom was extremely popular. In, in in like pop culture media um but when i was a little kid carnage was really popular i remember every kid in school fucking loved carnage I and mean, you know we're, we're fast forward 20 25 years uh and i don't know if the venom first movie did a good job of kind of in, uh, capturing what made venom popular in the first place i'd be curious to see if this movie can kind of capture what made carnage popular like you talk to anyone that's around our age. I feel like a lot of people have read like Maximum Carnage that don't read a ton of comic books for whatever reason. I think that the movie can allow Carnage to be who he is because um, it's it, it's allowed to stick a little bit closer to that character's origins, whereas they had to do a lot of 
hoop jumping to make Venom a thing without Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, I Andy Circus did like a, a a director's commentary over this trailer, and um, he had some some interesting things to say. He said that in in this universe, while Spider-Man is he does exist, they don't know that, um, and that's that's how they're playing it for this movie. Um, it's kind of weird the the dynamic between Sony and Marvel still. Um, this movie clearly though is teasing out the idea of a spider-man the idea of all those different things uh there's a, a very blink and you miss it moment uh in this trailer i'm gonna see if i can find it it's where the the, the detective is looking at the um at the newspaper when he smashes it it's very hard it's very hard to get it but if you pause oh, oh you know what sean uh if you use the i think it's if you press period you can blade through second by second Oh really? Pause it and then do period, and it should go frame. Ah, yeah, you can go yes, frame by frame. Okay. So uh, let's see if I can get to it. Uh, in this in this sequence with the uh, with the detective, when he smashes the the Daily Bugle that he's reading, yeah, it, it we see it when I don't blade through. But in any event, there's a reference to the Avengers in Fair. the in really? the Daily Bugle. Yeah. Oh, okay. Huh. Uh, so that's pretty that's crazy, yeah. Because again, those universes are—it's not a shared universe according to them. But in these Sony trailers, we keep getting these allusions to the MCU. So we'll see how that uh, multiverse, how that baby. Yeah. In any event, pretty cool trailer. I'm excited for it. It's got everything that you liked about the original Venom plus Carnage now. So what's not to like? Uh, Pete, can this movie be good? <laughs> It's interesting because obviously I was such a hater of uh, Venom in the the pre-release material. You? And I don't recall that. Yeah, no. Oh, okay, cool. Then let's just sidestep it. Nope. Okay. Uh, and then when we saw it, like I ended up, I ended up liking it. Um, it was a lot different than what I thought it was going to be, and what again, like what I think the marketing material kind of pointed at it being, and the fact that it was like dumb and didn't take itself very seriously, and was like more interested in being like a, a lighthearted romp than like trying to do something that felt like too edgy. Um, it ended up striking a chord with me. I think the concern um, that I have with this movie is, is like what Sean and Marco connected in the beginning where it's like, well, now we know that right now we know what the first movie was like. So is this movie going to double down on those things are those things going to resonate the same way with people when they're not surprising you? Because, like, there was one scene of that and you guys immediately were like, ah, feels like they're really leaning into that hard. And if that's the movie's whole vibe, like, are people going to like that? I don't know. You know, I still have video, Pete, of my of you telling my brother he was right because uh, yeah. we kind of buried it at the top. For months, my brother harassed the show telling Pete that this movie could be good. He did. You know, and I, I admitted it. He was right. It was pretty good. Unreal. It was enjoyable, you know? Uh, is So it's apparently going to be only in theaters. Mm -hmm. That's what they said. We'll see. We're going back to that, man. That's what it seems Only like. in theaters for 45 days. Certainly. All right. So speaking of theaters, uh, obviously Marvel is trying to ramp back up and get get us all in the theaters. They they changed the release date of Loki. 
uh, to a Wednesday so that the show would not interfere with your ability to make it to the movie theater uh, for Black Widow and all the rest of their stuff. Um, I didn't even make that connection. Yeah, me neither. Absolutely, yeah. Wow. Um, So now, though, of course, with the idea of these movies being global, we know how important China has been to Disney, to Marvel, uh, and and their ability to make money. But now, as it turns out, Shang-Chi and Eternals, two of the more important pieces to Marvel's uh, Phase 4, are now possibly not even going to come out in China. So uh, Variety were the people to initially point this out, and they said, in a report on the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Phase 4 films, the CCTV6 China Movie Channel aired a list of the U.S. release dates for eight of the ten scheduled titles, but conspicuously conspicuously left out Eternals and Shang-Chi. After Black Widow, which hits the U.S. July 9th, they are the next two MCU films in the lineup, releasing in North America on September 3rd and November 5th, respectively. The omission might seem small, but its significance lies in its providence. The channel is under the jurisdiction of China's powerful propaganda department, which has the final word on film approvals. That's a really big deal. Uh, So China is a huge market. They have a ravenous audience for film, and the U.S. uh, Hollywood has notoriously tried to court China over the last 10 years. Um, Obvious incidents of that are like Age of Ultron featuring, um, uh, I think, I can't remember her name. I think it's Bai Ling, but But probably not. She's a Chinese scientist who's like pretty pivotal to the plot. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and and you know, obviously, there's nothing wrong with casting a, a Chinese person in a pivotal role. But I say that because the 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 reasoning was so that the movie would have a Chinese person in it to appeal more to that market. One of the other really notable examples, right, was like everybody had that kind of conversation uh, when Doctor Strange came out and they chose to have the Ancient One uh, be played by Tilda Swinton and make her like Celtic rather than having her be, you know, um, I'm not sure what her original ethnicity is. Tibetan. Tibetan, yeah, right, which there's a whole uh, legal, or not legal, um, political conflict between China and Tibet and everything, and you can understand why they would maybe want to sidestep that controversy um, that could affect them making a ton of money in China. The, yeah, the Department of Propaganda is not going to allow any kind of movie that <laughs> has anything to do with like Tibetan liberation or whatever. Right. Mm. Or like a secret society led by a Tibetan woman, you know? <laughs> Interestingly, um, Shang-Chi features, you know, an, an Asian uh, lead. And so you might think that this would be a movie that would appeal to that audience. But if this is if this report is is actually on to something, maybe it's the opposite. We know that they love they love American actors. They love Scarlett Johansson, mm. you know, I think Matt Damon and people like yeah. that. Maybe this is not the kind of thing they want. Yeah, like there was that movie, um, The Great Wall, I think yeah. it was. That was the Matt Damon vehicle and it was like a supernatural thing or whatever. And I remember that movie coming out and there being a big controversy around that of like, why do we have this movie in China starring Matt Damon? And, and, and the answer was that, well, 
the Chinese market apparently loves Matt Damon, and that right. movie fucking killed over there. <laughs> Wasn't there also a Last Samurai with Tom Cruise? I don't. That there was. I'm not sure if that had the same. I, yeah. I, that might have been pre like Hollywood's expansion into uh, Chinese markets. That but, was like 2005. But, yeah, there was a Keanu Reeves. Uh, oh, like I remember Seventh that. Samurai or the yeah. 41 Samurai, something like that. I know the movie mm. you're talking about. It wasn't Seventh Samurai, but yeah, something. It was something. Yeah, similar. Yeah, I'm not sure that one could fall on that line too. Like that might be early because I feel like the expansion of Hollywood into the into the Chinese market is like a that's like a last five to ten years kind of thing more so right like yeah I, I'm, I'm curious though definitely the last decade more the shang chi thing i don't i wonder if that actually has anything to do with you know audiences and maybe it has more to do with like that uh you know department of propaganda or something maybe there's something in the movie that they don't like that has nothing to do with chinese audiences mm-hmm. the mandarin maybe well, but what about Eternals? So, uh, to speak to what Pete said first, the Mandarin has been radically altered so that the offensive elements of his character are no longer present. Mm. Um, go ahead. I'm wondering, but even like the name, the Mandarin, could be cons- uh, perceived as offensive, you know, by a Chinese audience potentially, right? Like, I would be surprised if that name was used much in this movie sure if at all but uh you might be right it, to, it, yeah sorry just one of the, one of the things that i was thinking of is uh, a lot of the times a lot of people flock for the leads and maybe simu Liu is not a big name in china as an actor and so like it it maybe it doesn't make sense to necessarily put out that movie if people won't show up for the lead so y- your perspective is that they don't want to put out these movies because they don't think they'll be financially successful in China. And somehow I get, I imagine that the Chinese government does get revenue from the like release of these movies in people's Republic of China. But I don't know. Yeah. But like, I, I have a hard time thinking that holds water because like Chris Hemsworth wasn't a movie star before Thor. And like that was released in China, right? Like guardians of the galaxy, you know, none of those actors were movie stars before that movie. Like Chris Pratt, was best known for being on Parks and Rec before that, right? Like, or the new Star Wars movies. Yeah, or the new. But you also think about it: the the new Star Wars movies also had controversy in China, where they they uh, uh, if you look at the Chinese posters for the movies, every one of the like newer characters, like especially, like, I remember like Finn, right, is like super small and like in a corner where like all of the older mm. characters, the white characters, are all way more prominently displayed. Yeah. And I think that that is why Eternals is. That's what I was going to suggest. Yeah, so, so Eternals features uh, a prominently diverse cast, not only in appearance, but also in uh, sexual orientation. Um, and I could imagine that that might mm. be a problem over there. Yeah, right. Like there, uh, there's a lot of, you know, um, like anti- uh, queer sentiment in China and, and obviously like you know Kumail Nanjiani is one of the the leads of that movie you know um, not su- not as surprising for that one I don't think is he um, uh, is he Muslim because that could he's, be I like I think he's Pakistani 
but like religiously that, is he yeah. think, right well i was just saying like that's i i believe he is muslim and i think and he is pakistani but he's, if if i mean that being the case that could be a big thing about especially stuff going on with like the uyghurs in, in china and all that um not you know not wanting to associate with a film that prominently has uh a, uh, a lead who is muslim so sure well go ahead kill i was gonna i was wondering if maybe there was a connection to the mulan controversy uh because if you recall apparently at the end of the newer mulan they thank the um the muslim um re what is it re-education camps or whatever because they filmed on site and that was a huge deal to the general public I did not hear. Or, I guess over here, anyway. Yeah. And uh, the actress who plays Mulan, as I recall, was uh, against the stuff with Hong Kong as well. So I guess I'm wondering if maybe there's a connection there. You know, maybe if Mulan didn't do so well, and China, you know, the government or whatever was really hoping that they were gonna you know, the, that film was going to pull out for them. Maybe they're just like, okay, well, we just won't play Marvel films then. But they're playing every other Marvel film. Yeah, because Black Widow's coming out, right? Yeah, all the I, other ones are coming out. Yeah, so that, that to me... Yeah, just a thought, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think with that context, it speaks to the idea that there's something in these films that are offending the, you know, the propaganda wing of the government. Sean, do you have so, a theory? Uh I think I think that yeah, they're, they're it's pretty clear what's going on here, which is just that they don't want diversity. They don't want you know uh, people who are non-straight. And yeah, I think I think in the case of 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 Shang Chi, that one we're gonna probably have to wait and see on um, because it could be that there's something in the movie that we don't know about. Um, but Eternal seems really obvious at this point. What I'm more interested in is how this is going to affect the way that Marvel makes films going forward. We already saw in the 2010s, it absolutely impacted certain ways that movies were made. The fact that Tilda Swinton played uh, the Ancient One, in my mind, you know, no disrespect whatsoever to her. And I think that she did a great job. I think that was a disgrace. Um, I don't think that that should have ever happened. I think that you know, they only they, the fact that they only did it to appeal to you know that market is just ridiculous, um, and I don't want to see that kind of thing. To me, that's pandering, um, and they're not doing it because they want to make the moviegoers happy. They're doing it because they want to make sure that the movie gets promoted over there. They're doing it because they want to make sure the movie comes out over there, you know, and things like that. And that feels weird. So um, South Park actually did an episode about this very issue um, where they yeah. called out Disney and others uh, for doing this. You know, I don't want to I'm not going to I don't I, I'm, I'm ignorant when it comes to global politics. So I'm not going to sit here on a soapbox about that. But I don't know that China treats their people very well. And the fact that they even have a department for this kind of thing is really weird. Uh, so I don't feel like you should be trying to appeal to that. Mm, but Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're definitely right to say that. I think even without getting into anything, right? Like there's plenty of 
documented human rights violations in China. Um, and it is disappointing. Something I, I just Googled briefly, uh, just cause I was interested to see if there was any information on it was what, how Black Panther performed in China. And apparently it underperformed compared to some of the other Marvel movies, but we know. I can't believe that. Right. Of course. Um, not surprising at all, but obviously we know Black Panther, one of the most successful MCU films to date. So, um, to your point, Sean, I think it'll be interesting to see how much or little the, the lack of a presence in the Chinese market impacts these two films specifically. Like, will you see other markets, um, make up that difference in the way that we saw Black Panther, right? I don't know. My last point is this is this is the only thing that has made me excited about Eternals. If if Eternals is banned in China, <laughs> then I want to see it. What the hell is going on in this movie that you know they're not going to be able to check that out? I want to see that. What about Shang Chi? I feel privileged. Well, that's what's interesting is to me Shang Chi. I felt like that was partially motivated to appeal to the you know the People's Republic of China. That's not coming out there now. I I. I don't know because the mm-hmm. since we've talked about it, my thought is like, well, isn't the like based on the trailer, right? Isn't the narrative that it's a you know an Asian American dude who is going against his like native family's cry- like say native like his family's from the old country's crime family? I could understand them not wanting a movie about an Asian American person coming in and being like, yes, let me fix all the crime in in China, you know. Let me define my point. family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like all of that, those themes are things I can understand the Chinese, you know, um, propaganda department being like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we won't be doing that. <laughs> what if he listened to his family instead? <laughs> yeah, right. This will radicalize the youth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just a, a quick correction. Uh, Kumail is was raised Muslim, but is now uh, has stated he is atheist. All right, go atheism. Uh, so that was <laughs> pretty yeah. negative. Um, <laughs> let's 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 shift gears and and, and get positive, uh, and let's talk about the WWE. I actually have nothing positive to say about WWE. <laughs> we have positive things to say about the people who work. Uh, in the ring at the WWE. <laughs> Barely. But I do have positive things to say about this announcement. WWE is tag teaming with Boom Studios to present us with the new two-issue limited series, WWE, The New Day, Power of Positivity. So if you're not familiar with WWE, The New Day is a triumvirate. Uh, this is a, a group of three uh, really awesome black wrestlers whose goal is to spread the power of positivity, baby. And <laughs> I fucking they, love the New Day. <laughs> yeah, they're great. Uh, they're one of the more popular acts in the WWE. They've been around for quite some time now. And um, they're going to be in a comic. They're very known for their geek leanings. Mm-hmm. Uh, they always dress up really cool at WrestleMania. They did Mortal Kombat uh, this year. Yeah, they, they dressed up as Mortal Kombat. They've done uh, uh, the uh, Sands mm-hmm. from from Dragon Ball Z. Oh my god, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now they're going to be in a comic book. I'm sure they've been in the WWE comics before. Yeah. Um, but now they've got their own, and so uh, they're going to be. Featured in this book, written by Evan Narcisse and Austin Walker, with art by Daniel Bayless. So, 
I think this is great. Uh, knowing how big, big of fans these three are of not necessarily comics, although I, I believe that at least Xavier, Xavier Woods yeah. is, is, a, is a comic fan. He fucks with comics. He's also going to be a host on G4, which is pretty cool. But um, yeah, knowing that they have these kinds of leanings, you know, I think this is the kind of marriage between WWE and comics that makes perfect sense. So, Sean, are we going to share a bowl of bootios while we read this? Uh, I can't drink milk, so <laughs> the idea of eating raw cereal... <laughs> raw? I like that you called it raw cereal. <laughs> well, they've been on Monday Night Raw, Pete. Fair enough. I'm just imagining Sean like getting like a, like a temporal roll, but it's made of cereal. <laughs> yeah, I'm good on that, Phil. Hope you enjoy. Shout out to Bootios. Well, you, can, you can have some pancakes. Um, nope. No, I can't. <laughs> <You> can't. <laughs> Is there any food that the New Day endorses that you can have? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily like excited for whatever this book is going to be. I'm just happy it exists. I know there are WWE comics. I don't read them because why would I? Yeah. But this is one that I might actually pick up. And I think there might be something to it, especially like um, Evan Narcisse is, is a talented writer. So this could be something cool. Uh, I couldn't help but notice on one of the covers, they have uh, Seth Rollins doing Roman Reigns spear. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Don't know how to feel about that. Yeah. What does that mean? So yeah, you can see right up there and uh, the images we're looking at. He's doing another wrestler's signature move. Kale. Yeah, Kale. Come what on, Kale. Mean? What does it mean? We don't know yet. Don't, you have to read the I book. I don't know. Yeah, that's the whole point. Oh, okay. <laughs> buy the book. Uh, you can buy it in July. So if, you, if you're interested uh, in July, you will be able to check it out. What I'm interested in is the Trial of Magneto. We now have more details about what that book is going to be. Last week, we spent a bit of time here on the show speculating about what it could mean. I said, did Magneto kill a human? And it looks like that's exactly what it is. Uh, so Marvel has spilled the beans on this. It's going to be an event. It's going to be a five-issue a five, uh, mini event uh, written by Leah Williams with art by Lucas Wernick. Right there is where they lost me. <laughs> Lucas? Wales? No, like the creative team. The totality of the creative team. Oh, okay. Expound. Yeah. I'm not a Leah Williams person. I know that she's popular, and I think that's great. I I gave her a shot, and I just didn't really connect with um, with what I read. So I thought I read, I read X Factor, like the first, I want to say it was the first couple of issues. Um, and I didn't care too much for those. And then she had, I want to say it was a one-shot pre-Hoxpox that I didn't enjoy. Um, I think it was um, a, a, an Emma Frost one-shot, something of that nature. And I didn't care for that either. So, yeah, once I saw that, I was like, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm not off the train, but I'm not into this. Diminishes your excitement for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is what Williams had to say, though, about the about the book. When has Magneto ever allowed bu bureaucracy to get between himself and what's just? 
in the island paradise of Krakoa, safe haven and home for mutants, Magneto's hard-fought greatest desire of seeing his people at peace and thriving has finally been achieved. But Magneto's loyalty extends only as far as it is first earned. So after the Hellfire Gala, when he when he learns that even a paradise can still be filled with lies, the trial of Magneto will begin. That's it. Uh, what do you guys think about the fact that it's an event, the fact that they've essentially told us exactly what it's going to be, um, and even when we'll find out the victim? We're going to find out the victim in issue 10 of X Factor on June 30th. It's Joe Chill. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, he killed Batman's parents. He killed Whoa. Magneto's parents. Oh my God, Joe Chill's a Nazi. Um, <laughs> uh, Joe Chills Hitler. Holy shit! Uh, I I don't know. It, it's like like you said. I I would prefer not to know these things. I would prefer to like go in and and just get the the, the story. But yeah. we've also had solicitations like this where they're like, ah, this is what happens, and this is what you're gonna, see. and then it's not quite that, and it swerves, and so you know. I think. Um, Maybe not for the same reasons, but I think I'm kind of where you're at now, Sean, where I'm like, okay, like this has diminished some of my enthusiasm for this because I would rather speculate and get excited and then read the story um, rather than get this much information at the jump. Same reason I don't really like trailers, um, but we know it now. I'm still going to give it a shot. Uh, the question about it being an event, I like that we've kind of experimented with like smaller more intimate events with the x-men stuff that are like that feel more self-contained and it's like this is an event in krakoa that's cool that's what i'm here for i'm here for krakoa right now so i don't necessarily want the x-men to be part of a, an event that extends beyond their shores right now i'm kind of into their whole like isolationist we're doing our own fucking thing vibe right mm. now you know they could have kept the solicitation really simple. They could have just said Magneto is accused of killing someone, and now he must stand trial. And you, that's all you have yeah. to do. Boom. Um, as for Leah Williams, I was looking through her bibliography, and it's a lot of stuff I never read before. There was like a bunch of Mary Jane Watson books and stuff that you know I, I you know, never even heard of. I, <laughs> I'll give her, I'll give her a chance on this. I, I'm interested in the concept. It definitely. Uh, spilled too many beans for my liking but uh on premise you know if you asked me at the beginning of hox pox who would be the person that would most huh, be at most risk of causing an international incident i would have oh yeah magneto 100 percent. my dude's a fucking idiot sometimes so my man's not a diplomat by nature he's like oh you want to see an international incident i'll give you many international incidents <laughs> I we know I, when, I sort of feel like um I it being an event feels uh I like we're coming off of the the Hellfire Gala that's already like its own thing we just came off of X of Swords Ten of Swords and to have this like I I hope if it's an event it's like just self-contained to these issues and doesn't sort of bleed out into other books but presumably it's gonna have to um I'm kind of like they can pump the brake on event stuff for a second we're just coming out of them to go into this one it's just it feels like a lot yeah um i'm with that too but at the same time we just criticized them for having a lull period so i um, didn't i was happy about it all right 
Fair enough. How special? Um, yeah. How much have you been enjoying the post Ten of Swords issues of X of all the X books right now, Marco? Uh, I've been having fun. Wolverine's been really good. Yeah. So Name. get fucked, Pete. Compelling Name point. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one book that has nothing to do with what else is going on. Yeah. Uh, listen, yeah. you asked the question. And he He's gave a shit answer. <laughs> listen, an answer. He had one locked and loaded. Do we know when X Factor 10 comes out? Yeah, uh, June 30th. And Hellfire Gala is running throughout the entire month of June. Okay. Do you guys huh. think Magneto, like, it'll be near the end of it then, right? Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess my thing was it's weird that we'll get. I either presumably X Factor 10 will come out and we'll have to sit through Hellfire Gala knowing Magneto's a murderer and then we get to the thing or but does he we're kill someone at the gala? Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Do you think like <laughs> do you think he chokes a bitch at the gala and Xavier has to be like, "Oh, Eric, what did you do?" Yeah, I feel like whatever happens happens at the at the gala. It stays so. at the gala. <laughs> It ain't gonna stay there. No. Sean, how angry will you be with Magneto if he kills Eminem? Whoa, that'd be, that'd be terrible. I would turn into the Joker. I would have to. Yeah, that would be my Joker. Moment. I love, I love the idea. We come back for the next show, and Sean's just clown, just full clown makeup, no commentary on it. It's like I'm the Joker now. <laughs> That could happen. Uh, <laughs> it's worth pointing out that this is not the first time that Magneto's been on trial. I mean, certainly not. But it's also certainly not the first time that there's been a trial of Magneto storyline. Um, the original one took place in Uncanny X-Men number 200, which actually was part of uh, John Romita's run on X-Men. So um, that's stuff. pretty cool. Yeah. I'm into it, man. Like, you know, creative team notwithstanding, circumstances around the announcement notwithstanding, I'm going to give it a shot for sure. We'll be reviewing it, um, at least as long as the first issue is good. And it's X stuff. So uh, the first issue drops uh, August 18th of the Trial of Magneto. So there will be, you know, a, a, over a month of intervening time between when we learn of whoever he kills and him actually going on trial. So that time period of X books will probably be pretty interesting. <laughs> I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> Marvel is going to be celebrating 60 years of the Fantastic Four this coming August. I feel like there's been a milestone every month this year for, for various characters between Marvel and DC. It's pretty crazy. So many of them have come out in like the last 60 years, you know? Uh, and similarly, this is like how old Kale is, I think, too. I think like this, this is his 60th year on the planet. So just about halfway. Yeah, about halfway, yeah. So <laughs> what would a what would a Kale life story book look like then? <laughs> He's sitting in a room eating crackers for six issues. <laughs> Well, I was, I was going to say it's, it's, it's like one of those pages where it's like it's the same piece of art <laughs> for like nine, a nine panel grid. And he's just a little older in each one. And he's reading a comic in each one. And he's got a big happy face early on. And you just see the life drain out of his eyes as he becomes less and less of a human, you know? Kel? That's a really good idea. I like that. It's accurate. Accurate <laughs> as hell. I know you, wow. man. Listen to, listen to our Moore image. joke in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen to our image reviews this week if you want to really hear that. 
<laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. He's writing the comics in the beginning. He's loving it. Oh, the children will love this. And then by the end, he's just like, I fucking hate comic books. <laughs> <laughs> and Rorschach fans. Um, <laughs> so in in August, we will get Fantastic Four 35, which is going to be celebrating 60 years of the FF. Uh, it's going to be John Romita's first work back, first interior work back at Marvel um, since his return. And uh, it looks like what you would expect. They uh, they provided some of the interiors, and it's <laughs> John Romita, whether you like sure, it or not. Sure is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they're going to be also bringing back Mark Wade to this to the book he's gonna have a story in this no, nice he's, oh, okay. he's been on fire lately you know if you can say one thing about mark wade is all the good stuff he's done recently such as oh did you guys hear that that was crickets <laughs> marco doing, please add that in post <laughs> he was doing uh dr strange for a while but then he took over uh the editorial duties at uh humanoids yeah Oh yeah, right, so, yeah. So he had I mean he has been doing a lot, just not necessarily at Marvel. Unless that Doctor Strange book is still going. I don't I don't know about that. No, the, the now I, I believe the only Doctor Strange the only place you can see him is in Strange Academy, I think. But that could be wrong. No. He and Captain no? Marvel are dating. So Captain Marvel as well. Right. Yes. Yes. Um and this book will also feature Kang. All the different versions of Kang are going to be coming for the Fantastic Four. By all the different mer- versions, of course, I mean Ramatut, uh, Scarlet Centurion, <clears throat> Scion, and Kang himself. So, so when you saw this, Sean, did you did that do anything for you? Like it being Kang, like obviously you have your theory that like we're building towards Kang in the MCU at some capacity. Do you think they're starting to like maybe lay some threads, or do you think it's just a coincidence? Oh man. So, uh, <laughs> oh boy, I got a theory. <laughs> it, it's it's not even a theory at this point. Like they, I didn't include it in the news, but they also the same week announced a Kang series. Mm-hmm. He's getting a solo uh, book. So, like obviously, yes, absolutely, they're building up Kang to be the guy in the MCU going forward. Think about the fact. Think about this fact. Okay, <laughs> I like this. Quantumania. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is not due out till, what, 2023, right? Mm-hmm. And in 2021, they're putting out Kang on Front Street. Why is that? Why so early? Who's to say? Marvel so- doesn't even have they, – they, they don't even have a, a, a Loki book out right now. Like, and, and the TV show is about to start, right? Marvel often, very often, is off the mark with these uh tie-ins but for kang they're two years ahead of themselves hmm. probably nothing I, yeah that i would happened. say i would say something similar with uh thanos back in the day yep thanos was the the primary antagonist of the book uh the the, the infinity event right yeah even the, which was totally random. Like he, he had nothing to do with the larger storyline that Hickman was telling. And then yeah. Thanos just came, came in. Uh, he also had a random appearance in civil war two for no reason. So you can tell when Marvel's got the train moving and they certainly do for Kang here. And, and when my point was he had like two or three uh, solo series 
in that time as well. I can't yep. wait, guys, for like the shoehorning of Kang, where it's like, on Krakoa, the X-Men have a trial of Magneto. <laughs> and then there's Kang! <laughs> oh, hey, guys! So, uh, Sean, you might be able to to fill me in on what happened here, because I feel like you're a historian for this era of Marvel. Do you remember that Avengers, I think it was Avengers Assemble, was the book right after the Avengers movie where they had, like, it was the team from the movie, and it was, like, right around that time where they brought in the black Nick Fury who looked like Samuel L, but he wasn't ultimate Nick Fury, and he was Nick Fury's, like, son or whatever. Yeah. Whatever happened to that character? Is he, like, a, is he dead? Like, is he alive? What's up? <laughs> Nick Fury's son? Yeah, I was thinking about him recently. I was like, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Where did he go? Like, I feel like I haven't seen him, like, I don't know, in like 10 years. He's Nick Fury now. Oh, he's, yeah, he, he's around. He's Nick Fury. He's, Nick he's, Fury. um, Nick Fury. I don't know. Yeah. Cool. So is the, Ooh. the original Nick Fury gone then, or? He's up in space watching out for cosmic bad guys. He, yeah, so he was, he was the man on the wall. Um, well, he was also the uh, well before that he was the architect behind the original sin uh, events, yes. okay. and yep. then he became the man on the wall. And then actually, yep. in the Infinite Destinies event that's coming this summer, he's going to have some type of involvement with that. Cool. So, yeah. And then there's Kang. <laughs> uh, before, uh, uh, oh sorry, uh, Sean. Before anything else, um, I. This uh, JRJR, actually, it's not bad. Yes, I'd like to say that I think uh, JRJR gets a bad rap. I think he's uh, stylistically unique and his proportions are weird, but I think I I think I appreciate him for what he is. Good. Uh, in this instance. Glad somebody does. I I think I, I don't like his, his art, but I do think that um, – it's it's memefied how people dislike him or yeah. how people talk about him. I don't think you have to like him, but and I and again I don't, but I don't think that we have to sit here here on this podcast or just on the internet in general and make sport of bashing him. Like he's a legend. He obviously works hard and you know, yeah. You can always tell when it's him too. Like that's a thing. Like um, yeah, nobody draws like JRJR. Exactly. Like, and I think there's something to be said to that. Uh, I think that that is distinctly him, and you can't take that away from him. I wish I could take his art away from a, the Avengers run by Brian Michael Bendis uh, when he ruined that for me, but I have no type of anger towards the man at all. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. Anyway, we're talking about Fantastic Four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that this is releasing in you know in the same year as Life Story. I imagine that they deliberately wanted to get you know that synergy going. Um, I'm I love the Fantastic Four so much, and that's why there's nothing more exciting to me on the horizon in the MCU than their arrival. Yeah, man, I'm right there with you. When we talked about uh, the Fox merger and Phase 4, or Phase 5, I guess, of the MCU and all that, no, Fantastic Four is where it's at. It's the whole thing. You know, I, I feel like we're, I feel like the Fantastic Four get a bad rap, too. I would say the pals are a pro Fantastic Four podcast. Though. Yeah, but well, I, we are the Fantastic Five. It's true. I do think that there there is kind of that 
anti-Fantastic Four bias in the same way that, like, um... Aquaman used to get. Yeah, and I think even, like, to a lesser extent, like, Wonder Woman, like we talked about, where it's, like, I think there are, like, certain characters that are, like, until they have that modern run or the movie or whatever that gives them that kind of bump in, you know, public consciousness. They had that, though. Like, the Hickman Fantastic Four run, well, like understandably celebrated you know yeah yeah that stuff's great but i mean like there's also two famously bad movies three famously bad movies um that i think gives them this kind of like it's the green lantern thing yeah there's stink on it now it's like oh they're old-fashioned and they couldn't adapt them or whatever and it's like there's all these bullshit reasons that people say that the fantastic four don't work anymore or can't work anymore and i think that they're total nonsense it's just there hasn't been a a hot modern take in a long time and like yeah like you call out the hickman run but i mean shit that was what 2010 a nine like it was a long time ago it was that ballpark i was like in i was like my it was like my freshman year of college i think when that was out 2012 maybe but maybe yeah but even that that's 10 years ago Mm -hmm. well that that notwithstanding right first of all the fantastic four uh got removed from continuity bait like not continuity but like you know they took them off the board for, for quite some time they right? moved the characters elsewhere to other teams and like just out of play well reed and sue were straight gone yeah, yeah they were like the kids off were gone. fucking making planets or whatever <laughs> right. um and even before that they were clearly uh deprioritized because of the movie stuff so um, but but that that being said, it's not comic book fans that feel that way. Comic book fans love the Fantastic Four. I've, I I don't think I've ever heard like comic book fans say bad things about them. Yeah. It's it it's and I, frankly, I've never even really heard anyone say bad things about the FF. Right. But if there are if there is a bad vibe about them, it's only outside of that space. It, it's the comic book fans that don't read comics really that have opinion like hard opinions on comic books. Like it's the same thing with Superman. Like yes. you'll hear yeah. the same kind of thing where it's like, oh, they're boring. Yeah, Superman's boring. He's a Boy Scout. Like that's why he's not popular anymore. It's like nah. People say that about the Fantastic Four too. But I think you're right. I think the people that read comic books don't have negative things to say about the Fantastic Four. I think it's like that space right outside of like the people that regularly read this stuff. And I think anybody who's more removed from it than that literally just doesn't ever think about the Fantastic Four <laughs> at all, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, again, we love the Fantastic Four on this podcast. But what you guys... Uh, brought up about what people say about the Fantastic Four and how they're boring is a microcosm of what I want to talk about in the main topic. So we bash DC a lot on this show. I bash DC a lot on this Especially show. Especially lately. <laughs> um, and I think that's unfair. So I'm going to turn my eye to Marvel. Because I think there's a conversation to be had about whether or not Marvel has gotten stale. Uh, Marvel Comics are obviously the most popular comics in North America, at at the very least. And Marvel characters dominate the big screen. Um, But I think that they've lost something in that dominance. And I think it's Edge. And so we're going to debate that. We're going to talk about that in our main topic. So I am known on this podcast as a Marvel mark. Mm-hmm. That is that is absolutely the case. I am a shill for Marvel. Mm-hmm. 
if we were a more popular, famous podcast, people would suggest that I was being paid by Marvel. One day, I do hope to be paid by Marvel or DC or Image or whoever. Whoever wants now, to sign the checks, you know? <laughs> yeah. For now, I'm just a fan. Uh, and I have been for the last 15 years of my life, something like that. And I really love Marvel Comics. I think Marvel Comics are great. I think their characters are tremendous. Obviously, huge fan. But over the last, I don't know, three to four years, I've started to feel like something's different. And maybe it's even longer than that. But something's different, and it feels like Marvel Comics are spinning on a hamster wheel. I'm fully ready to acknowledge that it's because I've been reading them for so long that at some point everyone starts to feel this way, but Marvel doesn't feel like it's moving forward in any clear specific way. You can see the progression with the X-Men, but I think that if you look anywhere else at Marvel, they're not doing anything interesting. Um, the and, and, and there are pockets of interest in yeah. my opinion, like Daredevil, uh, Immortal Hulk. Hulk. Those are those are those characters have interesting things going on, but I'm talking more about the broader Marvel Comics universe, if you will. Um, their events for the last several years have been underwhelming, and that's me being generous. Um, and there's no clear progression from event to event. They don't feel connected, and it doesn't feel like what it feels like with DC, where editorial is at odds with how they're trying to present these things. Um, and so there's like inconsistencies between events that seem like they might be supposed to be related, but they're not. Um, it just feels like Marvel's not interested in that at all. I would also say that I think that creatively speaking, in terms of the creators working on the books, Marvel is not as good as it was a few years ago. And so for me, at least, I think Marvel has gotten a little bit stale. And this is the first time I'm not pulling Spider-Man. I stopped completely. I'm not pulling Avengers. I stopped completely. It's a weird place to be. So I know that you guys are not as big on Marvel as me, but how do you feel about that premise? And do you think it's true what I'm saying? And what do you think has to happen for that to change if you think it is true? This is an interesting situation, Sean. I've never heard of someone setting up an intervention for themselves. <laughs> because they have a problem it's usually like you know i mean honestly marco pete kale and i have been talking for years like boy we have to talk to sean about his joker problem we have to talk to him about his marvel problem but here you are coming to us for help amazing it's really immature just pat yourself on the back <laughs> um yeah so i to respond to that that question i guess um I'll share a little bit about my own kind of trajectory as a reader because I I definitely resonate with what you're saying, Sean. Like when I as a teenager when I was kind of like actively getting back into comics, like I was always a Marvel person, right? Like I I prefer the Marvel universe generally. I like Marvel characters a lot. But I don't know. I I think I think part of it is that kind of natural cycle of of just being a reader and if you read the books long enough, like you see patterns repeat, you know, and especially if you have gone through um, the process of going back and like reading older things too, I feel like like those patterns become more apparent. But to your point, I think that 
when you look at like Marvel stuff through the ages, I feel like there usually was kind of a clear, I don't want to say vision, but like difference, right? Like it's like, this is what Marvel was doing in this era, right? And these were the defining creators. And, you know, I, I know that around 2012, 13, 14, I was around the time of like images, big renaissance, um, was when I stopped reading Marvel. Uh, I went from being like a, a weekly reader who was, you know, picking up at least five, six, sometimes more Marvel books to just dropping almost all of them. Um, because in part, because one of the big draws for me was that I was an, an ultimate fan and ultimate went away. Um, and without that, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like there was a lot left for me after that because there were 616 books that I was reading um but a lot of them ended or they changed creative hands and it just wasn't you know I hit a point where I was buying Marvel books that I wasn't enjoying and once I stopped picking them up I didn't miss them um because I think I was feeling that fatigue that you're talking about you know um and I don't know I, I guess it's it's hard to pinpoint any one reason versus um it kind of being a lot of different things, but I think a big part of it was that when I was getting back into comics, you know, the MCU didn't exist yet and it would shortly thereafter and it still felt new and like kind of novel. So like the place to get Marvel characters and stories really was the comics for me. And like now that's certainly not the only option. Um, we have, you know, over a decade's worth of MCU movies. I see, you know, up until last year was seeing three of them a year and, you know, um, I don't know. I, I think like feeling like I wasn't getting anything that was particularly like fresh or like must read from Marvel uh, alongside there being other avenues for me to interact with their characters when I wanted to, um, it made it easy to, to start like looking elsewhere for what I was looking for in comics. And I, I found that in, in indies, you know, and in image stuff. And then I got into DC and that was new and that was fresh again because I hadn't, I didn't have that same familiarity. And I think that also helped. Yeah. You know, I think, I, I think in the, uh, the very beginning, you kind of described how Perhaps this is just a symptom of getting older, right? Uh, I think you hear people describe this all the time. People that grew up with 80s comics describe that about 90s comics, 90s and 20, 2000s and so forth. I think in my opinion, I don't I don't know if I would say Marvel's stale. Um, I, I certainly think they're more increasingly more cognizant of synergy with the films, which your mileage may, may vary on that kind of thing. That's been happening for the last seven, eight, nine years, maybe longer. But I feel like there's always been stuff that's been appealing and uh, everything kind of happens in waves, I feel like. You know, Avengers were really, really hot in the 2000s when Bendis was writing them. Who's talking? Not me. Who would say such a thing? But, like, a lot of people weren't crazy about what was happening in Uncanny X-Men, for instance. You know, in X-Men, the 90s were Marvel's bread and butter. But now you look at X-Men and it's the bread and butter of Marvel again like it was 25 years ago and you don't hear people talk about the Avengers as much. I feel like that's just the kind of things that happen. And 
you know, even when I stopped reading Marvel altogether in the late 2000s, like, you know, like you mentioned, there's always pockets of good things happening. And that's, that's, that to me is really the lifeblood of the big two comics is that even if you feel like what's happening with the Justice League or Avengers is not very interesting, you know, there's going to be pockets of interesting things that are happening in either company's comics. And we outlined a couple that are happening in Marvel right now. Uh, creatively, though, that's that's definitely the whole thing. And that's been a big topic on this podcast for a while. We've talked about how all the great creators went to DC like two years ago. And they had them on like all their marquee titles. And now DC is hemorrhaging those creators. And it seems like a lot of them are going back to Marvel. So, I mean, we'll see. This is all like an ebb and flow thing. This is the first time I think in my reading of comics that I've been picking up superhero comics. Sure, um, <laughs> but like in particular, I've been picking up more, um, more and more different Marvel stuff, and it's mostly been relegated to the X Men, um, Star Wars, and then like the a couple one offs here and there. Like I picked up the Man Thing books, um, and it, it it kind of. For me, I have interest in some of these books, but because they're usually like legacy titles, it, it and even though like the numbers aren't that high, right? You know, we have what Conan the Barbarians at number twenty-one, Spider Woman is at twelve. Like they're not high numbers, but I feel much more comfortable starting um, at the beginning of stories. And these characters have a lot of baggage, and so I, I typically like to read those if I'm interested in the character. I'll read like an older book, see what they are historically, and then compare it to now. Um, and the only reason that I don't pick up more is probably because of that. That that's like the limiting inhibiting factor for me is uh, I I feel like I need to do more research about the characters as a whole before I can enjoy them the way that they're being currently published. Even if there are things that might interest me from a story perspective. Um, so I, I, I don't know that I would necessarily agree that they're getting stale. I think that for me, they're still very, they still feel very, very new. Um, and from the the stuff that I have read and the stuff that I do want to read, the Daredevil, the uh, Immortal Hulk, and even some of the, the smaller, like the uh, smaller title books, like the um, Black Knight that I've been enjoying. I think the stuff that I've been finding has been pretty fun. Um, but there's still a level of uh, access for me that I don't feel like I, I I'm in the the right place to go ahead and pick stuff up quite yet. So I don't know. I, I think there's space for a reader like me, even though for others maybe it doesn't feel like there the the quality is there. The other angle Sean brought up that merits attention here, I say, is uh, major events for marvel right and that's always tricky for me because uh, famously pete doesn't really enjoy event comics very often um what's tricky about event books which are you know they're the flagship titles of a, of a of a publication's year right like you know this is like everything that marvel or dc is hinging on that year basically it's it's their main event um it's tough because it, i think oftentimes it hinges on the power of a creative team. You know, you have a Jonathan Hickman work on event. You know, we've read them for our book clubs. They're very good. Uh, Grant Morrison, Jeff Johns, you know, you have these guys working on a major event. You'll get some, you'll, you'll get, you'll get uh, 
quality delivered. But when you have like uh, an event mandated by whether it's Disney or Marvel, uh, and you kind of scrap together a creative team, I, I think of something from five, six years ago in Civil War II, it's going to be universally panned because this is meant to be kind of a loose tie-in to the movie that's coming out, even though it has nothing to do with the movie. It just has a similar title. You have a, a divisive uh, writer penning it, especially in 2016. Um, and I don't know if you're getting something that people would consider stale, but it turns readers away, certainly, you know? Um, and that's that's another symptom of the problem is, you know, how many Jonathan Hickman who's working on, you know, X-Men events that other than Ten of Swords are being universally praised or Grant Morrison or Jeff Johns writing these events that are supposed to, like, kind of unify a reader base. I want to respond to that, but I want to hear what Kel has to say first. I, I don't know that anything interesting really has happened at Marvel in a while. Um, Hawksbox is probably... You know, I, I, not to bang that drum for the millionth time, but probably the most interesting thing that's really happened. Immortal Hulk, you know, um, but outside of, you know, the films, like where are the rest of the characters? You know, yeah, they're just doing their thing. I think, you know, when, you know, I, Sean, I know you're a big fan of, of Bendis's era, of you know marvel and that that was when i grew up at the same time when you were reading those books you gave a shit about every single character um up you know up until what was it siege was his last one i think not counting civil war his last event yeah siege um and i think that was kind of when i that was kind of when i fell off for various reasons but um just nothing nothing is exciting and then i think the thing that really really shut me down for marvel was uh superior spider-man and that ending because i really really thought and the way they and dan slot marketed superior spider-man was like that's it peter parker is fucking dead and Otto octavius is spider-man and that's it and I was I was <laughs> furious at first, but then you grow you grow to like the character, right? But then Peter Parker comes back, and mm. it kind of devolves into, you know, oh, okay, well he's gonna ride Otto's success for a while, and okay, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, Spider Man goes worldwide. Sure, yeah, okay, I can, yeah, sure. And then he loses it all, and then he's back in an apartment alone working for the daily bugle late for everything because he has to be spider-man i think i think there comes a time as a fan where you you sort of you either just surrender to the cycle and that's it or you know you you have to look for change and the thing is like nothing is changing the reason x-men and immortal hulk are exciting is because uh or hawkspox and and immortal hulk uh is exciting is because it's change right bendis changed a lot uh you know and and civil war you know changed so much 
all of that stuff is still referenced. It's what they're basing movies on, but nothing, nothing is coming out of that. Yeah, like what's a Marvel storyline from the last ten years that you can think of that would make a great movie? Secret Wars, Secret Empire, Hoxbox. Damn, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, well, well, again, right? Like Hoxbox, we've already all acknowledged. Fair play. Uh, Hickman stuff, which it's all Hickman stuff. Well, and yeah. and the other one that you just brought up is is Spencer, and that's seems like that's I mean maybe not Hydra Cap and all that shit, but like his Sam Wilson stuff is what that is being pulled for Falcon Winter Soldier and everything, you know, like. <clears throat> but even still, that's change, and what happened? Steve came back. Right, right. Like, and I think that's part of the problem. You know, is that like you look at um, the the kind of post the era that you're talking about right now, Kale, and you saw that whole um, push for new characters, right? And there was this generation of like, whether you liked it or not, there was a lot of things changing. There were there were new characters in old roles. There were you know a lot of old characters taken off the board and. You know, again, like it or hate it, like it felt like things were were moving and changing for sure. And then you kind of had that um I forget the name of it, but it was like their big snapback where it was like the hero not heroes were born. It was something like that though, in name. But it was like essentially all the legacy characters are coming back, but none of the new characters are going anywhere. We're gonna try to have our cake and eat it too. Mm. And um Yeah, and I don't I don't know. Like again, like I think there's there's a real chance that it is just like the getting older thing but when you what you were talking about kale like that era of marvel that is the point at which that i was most actively paying attention and i remember that being the thing where it would be like me and my friends would go to the comic book store we'd all get the books that were on our pull list we'd sit and read them and then be like what happened in that what happened in this and then we'd trade and like you wanted to know what was going on in the books that you weren't reading and you know it Mm -hmm. felt like it felt like it was like that whole period was a period of upheaval and change. And, you know, that, that like, it was very like, oh, this has big implications, you know? Um, and as much as I think Hoxpox does feel that way, we've all expressed cynicism about that of like, well, we all know this has to snap back at some point, right? Like, it can't go like this forever. And every time we say that, Marco's like, why? Why can't it? And I mean, I just, it just doesn't. Right? Like the example you just gave, Kale, right? Of like Spider-Man got pulled and stretched and pulled and stretched until it was enough was enough and it was time. And now we snap back and start over. I'll tell, oh. Go ahead. I'll tell I'll tell you why. Uh because the movie's gonna come out, they're gonna have to put those kids back in that fucking mansion, and Xavier's gonna have to lose his cool helmet because you know, new kids are going to have to see the movie and it's going to have to be the status quo. Mm-hmm. I don't mind any of that. None of that bothers me. I think that uh, the, 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 the snap back to status quo is a good thing in comics. It helps newer fans orient themselves around the characters that they recognize from outside the books. And I think it's really weird sometimes when you are an outsider and you jump into comics and you want to read whatever like batman and because you just saw the dark knight rises and then you pull the book out and bruce wayne is not even alive you know like i think i think that those things are all fine and that's something that comic book readers have had to accept almost since day one and we all get that we know the dance 
my problem is that 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 dance it's it's not happening and yeah. things aren't moving like civil war 2 being bad i don't even care that it was bad i don't i really don't like there were bad events during the golden the oh, golden yeah. age right like yeah, when yeah. i was in the heavily into it in the 2000s there were bad events then the difference is that it felt like you were going somewhere even if the event was bad like okay i hated secret invasion when i first read it but when norman osborne killed um the leader of of the scrolls and he became the guy and he started off the thunderbolts it was like oh my god what is gonna happen now that what is gonna happen now question drove me every single event from event to event and then every book that that was created after those events because i needed to know but what did i need to know after um empire empire that's what it was called i was gonna say I to speak to your point. I couldn't even remember the event we read last year, and I read every issue. Yeah, what 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 did you need to know? You didn't need to know anything, and that's the problem. There is no more need to know, and it, it, it happens in spaces. You look at how we all felt about House and Powers, and and the way that ended, and it was like, oh my god, what's going to happen now? Um, but but with Infinite Destinies, for example, which is an event on the horizon, I couldn't care less. There's been no like promotion is irrelevant. I don't care about like press releases. If you're going to, for me personally, if you're going to promote the book, do it in the books. Mm-hmm. You know, show me why I should care about this through the actions of the characters leading up to the event. Mm-hmm. They don't do that anymore. That's like a dead thing. And I think it has a lot to do with something that Mar- Marco was just talking about, which is that a lot of times fans or newer fans get alienated or feel alienated by that consistent progression so in a weird way the chase for new fans creates a problem for old readers in that the progression is great for me because i've been reading for 15 years and i'll be reading for another 15. if it was the same track story for 30 years i'd be cool with that because i don't intend to stop but how do you service the people who come in in between that and make them happy right like how how do how do you satisfy those people the snapback is happening much faster really is what it is um you know that's what kind of makes immortal hulk so special is we're not seeing the snapback yet like al ewing's been allowed to tell his story and let it pan out but you know the last few years it's been, you know, we, t- we harken back to like all new Marvel back in like 2015 when they were doing new number ones like every six months or something. Uh, that kind of mentality hasn't really gone away where it's like you're not letting people do creative things with the characters as much now so that like you can take characters in a direction. You have to let the rubber band stretch before you let it contract, but we're not even letting it stretch. And I feel like a lot of times it didn't... <sighs> I don't know. And again, like I'm, I'm referencing old stuff, right? But like, I, I remember when I was reading like, you know, um, like Michelin era, like Spider-Man stuff, right? Like you see like each run and decade of the character, like build on what was there. And like, yeah, some things change, some things get retconned and snap back or whatever. But like, <clears throat> The idea of like, of specifically what Kale laid out with Spider-Man is like, an extreme example that I think speaks to what Phil's talking about, but it's like you get so far away that the snapback feels drastic, really drastic. It's not like a, 
oh, okay, like, this is back to a status quo that we're more familiar with because this era is over now, right? Like, you know, the idea of, like, I don't know, like, post the clone saga, right? Well, we got to get back to a status quo, right? So we can do something else. Fine, right? But, like, the idea of, well, you know, there's been this run on Spider-Man that's been taking him in this direction for, like, 10 years, and now we're going to snap him back to where he was, like, 15, 20 years ago or whatever, like, I, you know, I, I understand why that loses readers because it is frustrating. And, you know, to your point, Sean, it is like something that we've come to expect. But I think the longer you read, the more you you feel like you've been through that before. And when it is happening, to Phil's point, like more quickly or more drastically, I think that that ends up, I don't know, I guess um, creating friction for readers because it's like, do I really want to do this again? Do I want to read 10 years of something for it to all get undone and snap back? You know? Um, and I don't, I'm not even necessarily arguing that that's inherently a bad thing, but I think when you can feel it, then it leads to narratives that feel unsatisfying. Cause I think, um, we talked about this not that long ago, right? Uh, we had a listener who wrote in and said like, what, like, how do you know when a story matters? Right. And, like, that question, the fact that that's a thing in comics, I think is part of why it leads to that dissatisfaction. Because if you can read something and really enjoy it and then be like, oh, my God, I want to see where it goes next. And where it goes next is backwards. That's not satisfying. And if you read something and it feels like a waste of your time, then you stop. Yeah, I mean... I don't know, man. Like the question of what matters, like what matters is, did you like it? Yeah. What what matters is, was it good? The person's asking, he's asking like in a grander scheme of Marvel, the broader picture, Marvel, DC, whatever, does this story, is it relevant? You know, is it, is it important to the, the, the story? And that's, that's the thing. Like if you look at Marvel right now, what's the book that you should be reading to know where Marvel's going? I guess Hawk's there is one, none. I guess X Men, but that's in a pocket. But yeah, right? they're siloed, right? Like they're not even interacting with. Like I mean, that's something we've talked about. Like it's kind of fucking weird that like it doesn't feel like Krakoa is a bigger deal. Well, I I, I don't know. I, I disagree with that. I think Krakoa is a huge deal, and I think that Krakoa, like the the fact that the the Fantastic Four and the Avengers are going to the Hellfire Gala, sure, and that the world the world is clearly reacting. We read X Corp this week for our reviews. Go check that out. The world is clearly having a response yeah. to what's happening over there. But there's no when you read Avengers, they don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. When you read like w- Spider Man, they don't talk about that. The only place you know that is by reading the X-Men books. So because of that, it feels like a smaller deal. Yeah. Uh, that's my problem. That's a big problem. Whether you liked it or not, Death Metal was a big deal. That that mattered. That they took that took over. Like they were publishing so many tie-ins to that. That 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 altered, you know, the future of of, of DC and stuff like that. Like things happened in that book that changed the line, right? That doesn't happen anymore. That's funny because now I'm wondering if the same thing is going to happen to DC where it's like what book is pushing the direction of the narrative of that company. And I don't know if there's going to be one because it, it seems like they're decentralizing their entire narrative structure over there in the interest of being what we're kind of talking about here, ease of access for new readers. Right. So, so I feel company, like you're forgetting an, an industry wide thing. I feel like you're forgetting um, the landmark 
event Here we go. Heroes in Crisis. Oh, that's oh, good. Wow. That was like two I years ago. Thought you were going to say Daphne Burn or Swamp Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Swamp Thing's driving uh, the entire DC universe right now. Daphne Burn is the linchpin. We all know. But it. see, that's the thing. Like, honestly, Swamp Thing leading the DC universe. That would actually be really fucking interesting. Would it? <laughs> I mean, yes, Sean. I mean, wouldn't it? It'd be at least something. When's it been I done? Mean, the thing is, it, it could potentially be interesting, but like, I don't know, like, frankly, like, I'm kind of more interested in like the Swamp Thing just being it and being what it is and like letting it, because it's a great story. And like, if Rom wants to pull from the rest of the DC canon... Obviously, he can. He just put Poison Ivy in the book, right? Um, that didn't have to happen, but it did, and it was cool. And if it connects to something else, great. If it doesn't, well, the self-contained thing is good. Um, and I feel like it's wanting to have your cake and eat it too and not doing it well that ends up feeling unsatisfying. Like, I want things to be more interconnected, but if they're not, don't pretend like they are because that feels hollow. Yeah, I, I mean, like I, I think I think there's merit to that. Like you know, if Swamp Thing, if Swamp Thing's book was the book to read because that's where you found out what's really going on. Like, sure, fine, it could be anything. You know, I prefer it to be the Justice League if we're talking about DC, or I prefer it to be the Avengers if you're talking about Marvel because those feel like the teams that that matter. You yeah. know, like those are the legacy teams. Um, but you know something big could happen in any book but that that feeling right is just it's non-existent like and again i i'm ready to admit if you're listening to this you're like oh my god sean sounds so old cool no problem i'm with that i get it and at the end of the day it could be just that we are but getting like, old when you when you were reading i'll, I'll use a, a a more recent reference because i you know at least it happened in the last decade when you're reading jonathan hickman's avengers and you're like oh wow like we see where this is going we see how you know the new avengers and avengers books are interrelated and how this is going to uh cascade and affect all the other books that's exciting because something's happening but you know we have to understand a lot of people don't like that type of storytelling there are a lot of people even as far back as the 2000s and probably further back than that who said i don't want my book to be impacted by this I don't want Daredevil to intersect with what's happening with the Avengers. I don't want Rocket Raccoon and the Guardians to have to deal with Civil War. Keep that shit away. Yeah. There are a lot of people who feel like that. And those people won the argument. And I believe that that is why we are where we are, especially when it comes to Marvel, because Marvel got more flack than DC at that time for that type of storytelling. I mean, I don't disagree with that sentimentality at all. I'm that type of person. I, I'm a type of person who doesn't read event books for event books unless you have, you know, unless it's got the right heat behind it. It needs heat, you know? Like, um, Final War, or Final Crisis, excuse me, that had, like, a lot of heat behind it. And, like, people were, you know, reading the, read that. Um, but otherwise, because, in my opinion, so many events aren't good... I don't want that to impact what I'm pulling month to month because it's like, all right, well, now I can't read these next three issues. But if you did, a, a, the, the, this has been done as well, where you do like three tie-in issues of that book that are separate from the main line, that works too. But the problem is that not everyone's going to buy those tie-in issues because that's more money. 
Yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, and again, right? It's like, because I remember when we read those Empire tie-ins for X-Men, and I'm like, I don't fucking care about this. Like, I don't I don't fucking care. This has nothing to do with Krakoa. This has nothing to do with what we're doing with the X-Men right now. It's this random side bullshit, and it's not interesting. Um, and that that does suck, you know? But, like, I also get where you're coming from, Sean, where it's like, you can't decentralize events and then complain that they're not central. But... I also, I, I would say, like, I'm more on that side of the fence for sure. Like, because I know when I was, again, when I was, like, a new reader and I was reading legacy titles and trying to get into characters, like, I can't tell you how many times I'd be reading a run and then it's like, oh, here's the event tie-in. And it's like, I don't even know what's happening in this event. Like, you know, like, we're in the middle of this story and now I've got to divert for a month or whatever, however long, right? If you're reading them in a row, it's whatever. You skip ahead, skim them, whatever. But, like... Month to month, like, that is kind of fucking annoying. Like, if I'm reading Amazing Spider-Man, because I want to know what's going on in Peter Parker's life, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, you got to go to the moon and fight some plants or whatever. It's like, I don't, whatever. Like, it's not what I'm here for. I, I think that, but that that argument is about the quality of the book, not anything else, right? Like, because yeah. the Amazing Spider-Man ties to Civil War are tremendous. Yeah, that's a great point. And and that, to, to that point, what was happening in Civil War was central to Peter's life, so it doesn't feel tacked on. It doesn't feel extemporaneous. It's like, well, this is what he's going through right now. Well, I mean, to Sean's point, though, that's the whole thing here, right? It all circles back to quality. The event right. has to be good. Civil War is one of the most lauded and celebrated comics of the last 50 years, and it's not even necessarily for the main, uh, you know, was it seven issues of Civil War? It's not even for the main seven issues. It's for all the tie-ins that have to deal with that event. Those are the issues that are really the meat of it. But that's a perfect storm. How many events have these amazing tie-ins that people talk about being better than the event itself? I can only think of a few offhand, and a lot of them are from that era of comics. Uh, Annihilation was like that. Uh, Infinite Crisis was like that. And Final, uh, Final Crisis was like that, too. Uh, the problem is, you know, the more and more we do this, uh, for whatever reason, you know, the tie-ins feel half-baked. Maybe the event isn't as good. You know, we talk, we keep talking about Empire, and it's just like everything about that just felt mailed in. And, hey, the closer you get to 2021 when you're talking about events, the more you're going to be right. And it's because of the fact that the events now are not as strong. They're just not. They're not as good. When you go back and you look at the and, – and again, like I'm not going to sit here and defend every tie-in because there were some books that were not good, some tie-ins that were like really – there was no reason for them to tie in. And it feels – it can feel cash grab at, at times, right? But like um, to me, when you look at a book like Secret Empire – and you see how that tied into certain things. It's like, yeah, absolutely. There should be tie-ins to this. If Captain America and Hydra took over Earth, Spider-Man can't be just, you know, sitting on his ass at home. You know, like he has to be doing something that's involved with this storyline. If he's not, it doesn't feel like it's 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 a connected world. It doesn't feel like it's the world outside your window. Right. And I feel like. Marvel has struggled with that. But again, my point is not even necessarily about events as much as it is about the the universe itself feeling like the things that happen in it matter. And again, don't even have to be good. It could be bad, 
but it doesn't feel like it matters. If when Empire ended, the event was bad, but something really crazy came out of it. And it was like, wow, the world has changed now. There's certain things that are different. And we want to see how those things ha have, have altered the, the, the Marvel Universe. Awesome. I'm in for that. That never happens. And it doesn't feel like there's anything to really read for. You're, you're, you're reading primarily, like if you read a book like Daredevil, notoriously, you read that book because it's quality. It generally stays great and doesn't get impacted by the rest of what's going on. So you understand that if you're a reader of Daredevil, that's what you can expect and anticipate. But I want connectivity in my comics and there isn't any, and they don't have any edge. And this, this is the last major point I have to make, and then we can do whatever. But the last time a Marvel comic felt like it had edge to it was Secret Empire. A lot of people hated that book. Ever since then, I have felt like Marvel has been sanitized. Toothless. They don't do anything dangerous. I, I also feel like the restructuring of the line didn't help for me, at least perception-wise. Like... <clears throat> Deciding like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna moonlight ultimate, but we're gonna like gut all the things that work about it and spin them in, right? And like, oh yeah, like people like uh, uh, Spider Gwen, cool, she's in six one six now too, and like, oh this cat, yeah, whatever, loop him in. Oh oh, uh, people recognize Nick Fury from the movies, cool, he's got a son now who looks like that. Like it just it it also feels like there are so many uh, too many cooks in the kitchen. You know, that like we, we talk about that era of of Civil War and, you know, I know in our book club, Sean talked about how that was created and that it was at one of Marvel's big, you know, retreats and somebody uh, shot the idea out and then they, you know, they workshopped it and it was this thing all these creatives talked about and boiled down and then it was like, cool. That's Dawn of X too. Sure, right. And that... I think feels different than Empire, which feels very much like a, all right, what, what event are we going to do this year? Oh, hey, we'll, we'll pull it back these really, this obscure alien race from this old Avengers comic. There we go. Cool. That's the event. That's what Al Ewing wanted. Mm -hmm. And, and, I, and I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, you know, like Al Ewing didn't care or put no thought into it or whatever. Like, I don't want to put that on, on him, but like, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like something that is like creatively motivated in a way that was like, oh, like we're going to sit and f the leadership, the creative leadership of Marvel right now is going to set this course and we're going to go off towards it. Because that kind of feels like what Hickman's doing with the X-Men, right? Of like, we have a lead. This is the vision. We have other creators that believe and want to support that vision who are going to come on and tell that story and build it out. And that's why I feel like that works. It feels organic. You know, whereas, I don't know, Empire felt manufactured to me. They're all manufactured. Marvel comics and events are made by committee. That's the point. What I'm saying is that the reason that they're not, that there's a problem is because the creators are not doing it right. Like, what's the difference, right? Like, if, if Empire was created by committee and Civil War was created by committee, the only difference is the quality, right? Like, But I guess, like, why, right? Because you could look at, Immortal Hulk, and that's an Al Ewing book, and, you know, you and Phil have sung its praises. It's one of the three books we listed as, like, that's one of the hot Marvel books right now. Yeah, like, but I why fucking hated Al Ewing, like, three years prior, because he sucked <laughs> on Ultimates. 
not old. I'm sorry, not Ultimates, New Avengers. You know, like we're we're tiptoeing around the the real answer here, and um, you know what? I'm gonna go out and say it. Here we go. The real Here's answer the is diversity in comics. It's just <laughs> that's that's what's changed. I mean, <laughs> the pivot again. You know, like I, I, I'm here to spit fact, guys. Okay, you guys can you know dance around however you guys want, but at the end of the day, too much diversity. All right. Well, that's a that's a wonderful note to close out this conversation. We cancel on. Marco. That that's been happened in my mind. He's, he's, <laughs> he's doing a damn fine job of it himself. I'm I'm very very interested in hearing what you guys listening think about this because obviously this is a conversation that's near and dear to my heart and clearly based on this talk um, several of us have not necessarily the same feeling but similar passions about the about the topic and if you're a fan of Marvel or DC it doesn't matter where do you stand on this issue do you think that big two comics have lost something over the last few years. Or do you feel like people who are 15, 16 are eating this stuff up the way we were in the mid 2000s? Uh, write in and let us know your thoughts on that subject. Hit us at the comicspals at gmail.com. You can uh, write in about that subject or anything else we talked about on this episode. While you're thinking about us, make sure that you guys are going and leaving us a rating and a review uh, like Union Jackson did uh, earlier today. We really appreciated that, of course. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, drop us a comment, share the video with your friends to let them know that we're out here and you like what we do. All those things are free and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Check out our book clubs. We've got a ton of book clubs. Take my challenge, the Comics Pals Challenge. Go look at our list of book clubs. I defy you to find, to, to, to not be able to find a book on there that we talked about that you don't like. If that's the case, write in and suggest us a book club to do. Uh, tune in this upcoming Friday for our stream. We're going to be doing a tier list about the Marvel movies. We're going to rank all the Marvel movies, all 50,000 of them we're going to be ranking on Friday. So nice. strap in because it's going to be a long one. It's going to be a great time. We're going to debate and rate all of the MCU films. Join our Discord server, a link to which is in the description. Come hang out with us. It's a good time. And while I'm still thinking about book clubs, last but not least, Make sure that you read Jupiter's Legacy and Jupiter's Circle so that you can come join us for our book club, which will drop the last Tuesday of this month, which is the 25th of May. So come hang out with us for that. Pete, your plugs. Thank you guys for joining us here in another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come chat with me about what you think about this issue. I'd be interested to hear about it. Um, and if you are still really into what Marvel's doing, let me know what it is and why. Uh, if you want to get some more content from me, you can go check out my band, Long Friend, Time Friend. Uh, we just did our album release party. You can still go catch that. We actually just announced a new project where uh, this small label in New York is going to be uh, doing some vinyl pressings with us. Um, and it's hey. like a cool thing. You get like a unique performance that we do in the room. It's They call it like an audio Polaroid. So you get like a unique one-time performance. You can go check it out on my Twitter and stuff. Um, Pre-orders are live now. We're going to be there in July. So go check it out. Uh, that's long friend time friend at LFTF the band on Twitter. Maybe you've heard that label. Cool They're called Sony. P please, I wish Sony was <laughs> printing my vinyl. Are you kidding me? 
Hit me up, Sony. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. You may have heard two bits of news this week. If you're anywhere near my Twitter, Ultraman is getting an animated CG movie on Netflix. Uh, that's cool as hell. Hail. Did you, did you like the cool as hail. Um, I'm looking forward to the newer one because Jet Jaguar is going to be on it. But I generally don't like the CG animation on those films. So I don't know. The other one is that um, uh, the popular um, uh, subtitle channels and translators, TV Nihon and um, Overtime for Common Rider, have been served a cease and desist. Um, so uh, Common Rider subs ain't coming out for a while, and that sucks. Um, so that's been your uh, mini tokusatsu news <laughs> in my plug in my plug uh, my plug bit Marco you can find me at Mr. Marco Inamoto on Instagram and Twitter come talk to me about uh, Hollow Knight I've been replaying it I've been having the time of my life all over again and uh, Man Thing because the book was interesting hmm. better than Swamp Thing nope Phil uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CyborgBebop. Uh, there's a new Dragon Ball movie coming out that I'm kind of interested in. Tell me why you're excited for it to be Monster Carrot. Yeah. Is that the, is that the, uh, the fucking rabbit? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Eat it. those vegetable boys. As for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about our main topic or Resident Evil 8. I do want to say I have no negative feelings about Al Ewing or any of the creators that we talked about. Um, just using examples, I didn't like his new Avengers, but he's a great guy. We interviewed him twice, I think. Yeah. You should check those out. Um, you know, just sharing my thoughts about Marvel. That's what we do here. With that, we're the Comic Spouse signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. All right, Pete, let's go share a bed again. What's that love? Oh, oh, hammer. <laughs> hammer. <laughs> I forgot that name. <laughs> <laughs>